We are continuing in our study of Words of Life. This is our last in our first series on God. Uh, we've been uh, talking about words that are important in the Bible, which we will do through that, throughout the whole year. And this is, I've sort of broken it up into nine different series as we go through the year. This is the end of the first one as we transition uh, next week into the next series on truth. Uh, this is the, uh, as we're transitioning, and, and I've sort of framed this, tried to frame this as a sort of a walk through the Christian faith, starting with first principles, very basic ideas, and as we are going to go through uh, some important ideas leading to how we live and what it means for us. Now, the idea of spirit. Of course, we looked at this last week, Genesis 1, 1 and 2, the creative power of God, and the spirit of God is right there at the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was hovering over the face of the uh, darkness was over the face of the deep, and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The word "spirit" very important, and it's evident because it's right there at the beginning. This is a, a key idea, the last of the ideas that we're going to look at about God Himself. Who is God? And more importantly, what is God? What kind of being is God? Now, John 4, 21 through 24 says it more explicitly. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. That's the Gentiles worshiping what they do not know. We worship, the Jews worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Truth is what we're going to begin a series on next week. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Now, these two verses form the core of sort of the thesis of what this lesson is going to be about. The idea of what is a spirit. And if somebody asked you what is a spirit... Uh, Gideon asked me this the other day. What is a spirit? I don't know. What is a spirit? How would you answer that? If, if somebody said, what does it mean that God is a spirit? What would you say? This is a little bit of an unusual idea because of the very nature of what a spirit is. And, and if you look at the first two verses that we read, we see the contrast in what a spirit is. What does it mean that God is a spirit? The spirit of God in the beginning and of course God be calling himself a spirit in John chapter 4. And we see the very basic contrast in Isaiah 31. The most uh, sort of uh, foundational idea of, a, of spirit. Isaiah 31.3, the Egyptians are man and not God. Their horses are flesh and not spirit. When the Lord stretches out his hand, the helper will stumble, and he who is helped will fall, and they will all perish together. Uh, this is uh, uh, the idea of God's power, of course, in the Exodus. But the contrast, the very basic contrast between the flesh and the spirit. We're going to see this all throughout the Bible. If you do any sort of studies about the spirit and about the flesh, it's just over and over and over. A spirit is that which is not physical, which we see in the very beginning, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He existed before that, though, before anything physical was made. He existed. And so we know that that existence, that idea of being a spirit, transcends physical reality. Because he was a spirit, of course, who existed before any physical reality existed at all. So when we ask the, ask the question, what is a spirit? It is something that is not physical. 
something that transcends atoms and carbon and, and this, the structures of organic reality, right? All of that stuff is not what a spirit is. But there's, of course, more to it than that. The spirit is life. Matthew 27, 50, and we see this at the end of his life here. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. James says it a different way. James 2.26, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. There is a sense in which the spirit is part of us in our bodies, yet the spirit is separate from our bodies. In some sense, the spirit is what gives our bodies life. Now, it is, there's an unusual, it's a, it's a difficult thing to talk about because we are so, I look at myself and when I think about myself, I'm not thinking about a spirit, right? What am I thinking about? When I think about myself, I'm thinking about that thing I see in the mirror. That's what we think. That's how we conceive of ourselves. That's what we experience. That's what I sort of, in, in my whole reality, is based on. The things I can touch and taste and sense and smell and, and feel and this, this physical stuff. But that is not me. That's my shell. That's what I am animating. My spirit, the thing that is eternal, the thing that is not physical, giving life to my body, allowing me to interact with you, allowing me to do things and to have an experience of reality that God has given me. But again, one of the most common contrasts in the New Testament is that of this flesh versus the spirit, that you are not your body. This is an, a key idea in Christianity, a key idea in not just Christianity, really most religions have this idea but that you are more than your body. Just as God is spirit, that is, God exists independent from the physical reality, so too do we exist independent from the physical reality. Now, we interact with the world through our bodies, through our physical form, but the word itself is an important idea here. And I've got, we read this a minute. We're not going to read it right now. John 3, 4 through 8. I want you to notice the bolded. Can you see the bolded underlined? Well, they're not really underlined very well, but they are italicized and bold. Uh, the spirit, 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 spirit. And then there's a play on words here. This word that's not spirit, wind. This word right here. This is the same Greek word as spirit. And it is this way in Hebrew too. Uh, the word spirit in both Hebrew and Greek is a word that could mean breath or wind in addition to, as it's typically used, spirit. The wind or the breath. And so when God talks about the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, that word is the wind of God or the, the moving air. That's what we're talking about, moving air of God. And I don't think it's a coincidence then that when God describes his process of creating and giving life to Adam, what he breathes life into Adam. In Adam, the breath of life, that idea. This is all closely linked. The word spirit is inseparable from the very foundations of life and death. Even in the word itself, you breathe, you breathe in and out. That's the thing that gives your life, or gives your body life. When you stop to breathe, what happens? It doesn't take very long before you to die. Just like when your spirit is in your body, you have life. And if your spirit leaves your body, then you die. Romans 8, 9 through 11. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. 
If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. There's so many plays on words here, and I wanted to read this before we go back and look at this text here. Oops. Ah, go back. Keep going back further. There we go. Uh, to this text. Oh, this one right here. The play on words in this text. He says, Nicodemus, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Again, we're seeing this contrast, right? You have a body, Nicodemus, you're of the flesh, you're of a physical reality. The kingdom of God is not that. The kingdom of God is not a physical thing, just like the spirit is not a physical thing. The kingdom of God is not a physical thing. And so that which is born of the flesh, that which is only thinking about things in a physical way, cannot be in the kingdom of God. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And then this play on words. The wind blows where it wishes. And you hear its sound. You don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And the only way that we can know which way he's meaning this is by context. The wind and the Spirit being the same word here. The breath, the movement of air. And so when we read a verse like this, this next verse, what is he talking about here? To be born of the Spirit. What does that mean? Well, we see what that means here. I have my body, I have my spirit that God gave me, and I have all this, but there's more to life than this reality. Can I stress that anymore? There is more to life than the physical. There's more to life than just what we can touch and taste and sense and feel and hear. There's more to that. And here's what we see. If the spirit of God dwells in you, if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. The, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. If I am not my body, I'm, I'm a spirit that lives in my body. I, I use this and people sometimes don't like this term, but I just really like it. I have a meat suit, right? I'm just inhabiting my meat suit. I'm really a spirit. In the same way that our spirit dwells in our bodies... So can God's spirit, right? It's not a physical thing. It's not bound by physical dimensions. It's not like it's, there's like limited space in here because all my fat and my muscles and my blood vessels and all that, where's the spirit go? We, we can't think about it in those terms, right? This is a, something that transcends physical reality. So just like my spirit can inhabit my body, however that happens, so also can God's spirit, right? God's spirit can inhabit my body as well. And we understand, of course, that our, our bodies are not dead if I don't have God's spirit because there's tons of people who don't have God's spirit in them and they keep living, they keep doing stuff, they're still alive. So what does this mean? That the spirit will give life to my mortal bodies. The body is dead because of sin. What my spirit does with my body is death. I go against God's will, the will of the creator. I do what I want. I do what my body wants. I do whatever tempting thing there is for me to do. That's what I do. That's what I do with my body. God wants to do more with my body. He wants to empower more with my flesh. He wants my members, as he puts it in another place, the parts of my body to be used for holy purposes. He wants to give life to this mortal body. To allow me to do and to say and to interact with the physical world in a way that gives life not just to me and my spirit, but gives life to other people. How does he do that? 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7. 
Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. What is he trying to do? I want to live for myself. That's the natural state of being. God wants to empower me, to enable me, to live not for my good, but for the common good. The good of God's people, the good of his kingdom. To live in his service. To do things that are beneficial not just to myself, but to the group. That's what God wants to empower me to do. How? Through the Spirit. A Spirit which is not a physical thing, but which is nonetheless the essence of God's being. Just like a Spirit is the essence of my being. The essence of God's being with me. And again, we're, we're, it's a little bit hard to think about this because we're so physically minded, right? Where is that happening? I don't know where that's happening. I don't know how the, I don't know how the spirit interfaces with the body. Nobody knows that. You can't, you can't possibly understand that because we are limited in our frame of reference for this. But I understand that God's spirit lives in me with my spirit and gives me power. That's what the Spirit does. He gives us power. Power to do what? Power to do His will. John 6, 60 through, 30, uh, 60 through 63. When many of His disciples... This is, uh, of course, this is after He said the thing about eating the flesh and drinking the blood. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And then they start to grumble and complain. They're like, what does that mean? When His disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. I don't think it's a, co a coincidence that the word spirit has so much to do with breath. The idea of moving air. Because that's what language is, right? Language is the passing of air through my lungs into my vocal cords and then it comes out. Now some people, of course, when you think about our words, they can take many different forms, right? But this imagery that the words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. The words that I have spoken to you are breath and life. They literally give life to your body. They allow you to live in a way that is beyond the physical. They allow you to conceptualize and understand things that are more than just the regular things of life. God's words, Jesus' words, are what allow us to understand his love. His words allow us to understand where we came from. His words allow us to understand what's the whole purpose of life. What am I doing here? His words allow us to understand how I can be a blessing to others. It is through his words that we have this life in our spirits. Now, next week we're going to look at this more explicitly. Uh, we're going to discuss inspiration, I think, next week, or either next week or the week after. Uh, this process by which God's words come into the minds of the gospel writers. But as we think about the spirit, I think we're concluding quickly, but there's more after this. Spirit is a concept intrinsically connected to life and death. Life and breath, rather. God does not have a mortal body and thus cannot die. Again, this is sort of inherent in the creation account. If God creates physical things that die, he creates them at some point. 
he existed before that. There's no mechanism by which he's going to die. There's no mechanism by which he can die. But it, it's also interesting that as spirits ourselves, my body will die. It'll pass away eventually. Who knows when? But my spirit, because it too, who I am in my essence as a spirit, not just my meat suit, but the core of who Chris is, something that transcends physical reality, it too will not die. It will persist and endure, won't it? it? There's no mechanism by which God has given that those things will die. He could, I guess, kill our spirits if he wanted to, but he's not said that he will. He said, instead, he said that they will persist one way or the other, right? They will persist either in his presence or away from his presence forever, but my spirit will endure. God, as the only originator of life then, as the creator of our spirits, is the only one through whom our spirits can find purpose and meaning and peace. Because when we tie ourselves to this physical life, our jobs, our houses, our stuff, we tie ourselves, we care so much about the flesh. Isn't that the contrast? The flesh. Making my body feel good, making my body have what it needs and wants. Even, even things that we could consider to be good that we put in the wrong place, like our families. Things of this life. We tie ourselves to things of this life. And because that's not who we are, that's not the essence of what we are. We're not bodies. We are spirit. That's when we start to feel meaningless, aimless, purposeless. We start to have the existential crises of people who know that there's more than this. We know instinctually there's more than this. But we get so wrapped up in the things that we can touch and taste and feel and smell. And we forget that God, as the originator of life, as the creator of our spirits, God has more in mind for us than this. He wants to have communion that would transcend the material reality. Communion that is a spiritual connection. So when he says in Romans, when Paul says, if God's spirit dwells in you, that's a spiritual communion, isn't it? It's not something that's happening in the physical reality. It's something that's happening in, in whatever space exists outside of creation. That deepest kind of connection. Through this spiritual connection, his spirit empowers transformation in us. His spirit changes our spirit. And he's the only one that can do that because he is spirit. Other people will fall short. You know that. I know that. We all know that. Other people will fall short. Only God can give you this kind of spiritual connection because of who he is and what he is. So when it says that we're made in the image of God, God doesn't have two arms, two legs, and a head. He doesn't have that. Because he's infinite. He can't actually, literally can't have a form because he's infinite. Any form that we would put on him would then thus, by definition, limit his infiniteness. So what does it mean that we're made in the image of God? We are a spirit, like he is a spirit. We will endure eternally as he endures eternally. We have the ability to do things that matter beyond this existence. Like God has that ability. 
And he wants to empower it, empower it in us. So we conclude. This is why being born of the Spirit is fundamentally necessary. The reading that we read, which we'll read now. John 3, 4 through 8. This will be our last verse. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is, one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound. You do not know where it comes or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. What is he telling Nicodemus here? You've got to stop thinking about things in such a physical way. If you want the purpose and the power that comes from God's spirit, there has to be a rebirth because our bodies corrupt us. Our flesh corrupts us. We are born perfect and sinless. And over time we sin and we go against God's will. We corrupt our, our spirits are corrupted through sin and through desire and through selfishness. And there needs to be a renewal here, right? A rebirth. Born of the water and the spirit. We know what the water is, don't we? To be united with Christ in the waters of immersion. But it's not just getting wet. It's not just taking a bath. Otherwise, I would just throw everybody that I could in here. If, I, if that was all that was necessary. I could throw some of you in here for sure. There's more than that, isn't there? The mingling of our spirit with God's spirit. That renewal and rebirth that as I submit to God's will out of reverence and respect and obedience, I'm united with him in my repentant heart. I've confessed that I believe that he is the son of God. I've confessed that I believe that God is my creator and I want to obey his will. I'm united with him in the water and then I'm united with him in the spirit. His spirit comes to dwell in me. Why? Not so I can just keep doing the things that I was already doing, right? That which is born of the flesh is flesh. If I just keep doing the things of the flesh, that means I'm of the flesh. If I'm born of the Spirit, I'm going to start doing the things of the Spirit. Doing the things that God cares about, living the way that God lives, caring about His will and His ways, and ultimately helping other people to see Him as He is. Maybe you're ready to do this. Maybe you're ready to be united with God's spirit. Your spirit wants it. Whether you know it or not. That's what your spirit longs for. Come have meaning and purpose. Come while we stand and sing.